I made a statement just a moment ago when I said in the 40 years that King Solomon was on the throne, what was it that happened in his life that led to his shame? Solomon didn't wake up one day and then all of a sudden find himself in a shameful condition. He didn't wake up one day and all of a sudden find that his heart was different than it was the day before. There was a progression and a downward slope, as it were, in the heart of the wisest man that ever lived. You know, when we look at this man's life, we see so many uh, ups and downs, but more ups. We find him living in a time and reigning on the throne over all Israel that was in a time of peace. Everything was set into motion that would be perfect for him to be the king that he needed to be. He didn't have to fight against the Philistines. He didn't have to fight against those that were the enemies of God's people. He didn't have folks like Saul was to King David looking to kill him and take his life. But King Solomon, in all of his glory, found himself on a downward slope that ended in shame. You know, in the third chapter of the book of 1 Kings, the Bible, first of all, pictures, and the reason I mention this is because in the Bible, the Bible says that King Solomon had many wives. In fact, the scripture says he had 700 wives and he had 300 concubines. Now, a concubine was a secondary wife. They didn't have the same legal rights to land and possessions and whatnot, but they were also considered as a spouse of an individual. So, when the Bible says that King Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines, no doubt we can deduce to say this, that Solomon had a thousand wives or he was married to a thousand different women or thereabouts. But you know, of all the ones that Solomon was married to, the Bible describes in 1 Kings chapter 3, the one that is deemed to be his favorite. It was the daughter of Pharaoh. You remember also in the book of uh, Song of Solomon, she is the heroine in the Song of Solomon. In fact, in chapter 1 of Song of Solomon, we have there the words that are written basically coming from her standpoint, delivered to King Solomon, and then in verse 8 down through the rest of the chapter, we find that it is the response of Solomon to those words of this woman. She is the one that is described in the Bible or describes herself in the King James Version as black and comely. Now, she was an Egyptian woman, and no doubt she was dark. The King James Version says black. Other translations say dark. I looked up that word, and that word means dusky. And that's interesting to me because dusky, to me, is a bad thing. I remember seeing people that are deprived of oxygen. They turn this gray color, and they get dusky. And that's the word that I understand as dusky. But, uh, no, and that's not attractive at all. But no doubt that's not what's being meant there in the book of Song of Solomon for she says that she is as black as Solomon's curtains. And so she's picturing herself in a beautiful way. Solomon had it all. And in our mind's eye, we can reflect back now and picture this is a man probably around the age of 20. And he's going to find that something's going to happen to him that is magnificent. How many times or how many people in the Bible can say that God spoke to them or came to them directly? And yet in Gibeon, that's exactly what happens. 
And you remember when the Lord comes to Solomon. Solomon is a young man now and he's on the throne. He is to be the king and the only thing he could think of is how magnificent a position that it is and the only thing he can think about is how unworthy that he is to be in such a position and have such a task that is before him. You remember that we studied that the Lord asks Solomon a question. He says, what is it that I might give you? What is it that you request of me? Now, interestingly, I think it's important that we remember that God is not saying, as some commentators would say, God is not saying, ask whatever question that you want, ask whatever favor that I might give you, ask whatever it is, and you will have it, carte blanche, whatever it is that you ask. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that, though some commentators deduce that. What's being said is, is he's just simply asking him a question. He never says, and I will give you everything you ask for. He just says, what is it that you ask of me that I might do for you? And Solomon began with words of praise. And he said, you showed great kindness. You showed great mercy. And that's what that word means in that passage, mercy. You know, sometimes... We look at the word mercy as receiving something from someone you didn't deserve. Now, no doubt, anything that comes from God, man does not deserve. But this word mercy just means kindness. He said, you showed my father kindness and you put him on the throne. And he said, and then you've showed my father kindness by extending me the throne too. And then he says this. He says, how is it that I could reign or I could be on a throne of so vast a people, so great a number? that cannot be even numbered. So many people that are so great, your people. He said, all I ask is for an understanding and discerning heart that I might better be able to perform my duties, that I might better be able to determine what is right and what is wrong, that I might be able to sit down with someone on a matter, that I might be able to understand what it is that I must do in reigning over the kingdom and in satisfying disputes or whatever it is. In other words, King Solomon is a young man and this man realizes with his humility, I am not up for the charge. I am not up for the task. I need your help. Give me the understanding and the wisdom to be able to be the king that you want me to be. You know, I remember when I was 20, I knew everything. I really did. We all do. You know, in fact, it's interesting to me, and no, Shahi, you just got married, but I'm not talking about you. But it's interesting to me when people just get married and they're young, man, they've got it all figured out. They've got all the answers. They know all about the family. But there's something that happens in our life that causes us to have some knowledge, some wisdom, and some understanding about matters like that. It's called years. It's called gray hair. It's called wrinkles, those war maps that are on our face. Tina and I, now we are older than we ever have been, but we are not old folks yet, but we're not young people, I guess, we're somewhere in between. No, we don't know all the answers, but she and I have laughed about all the things that we thought we once knew. Like that song that says, I know so much more now than back when I knew it all. And that's a fact. How many people, though, are 20 years old and placed in a position of honor like King Solomon? And be so humble in his heart. 
and have such humility in his heart that the only thing he could say is, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of it. All I want you to do, he says to God, is give me the tools, give me the wisdom, give me the understanding, give me the knowledge, give me what I need so that I can sit on this throne and do what you want me to do. What an amazing heart. And you know, the Bible says that God responds back to Solomon and he is so pleased. Because he, he responds to Solomon and he says, Because you have not asked me for riches, because you didn't ask me for honor, because you didn't ask me for all of those things that you could have in this world, because you didn't ask me that I would remove your enemies. You know, incidentally, let's take a little side note there. Do you remember when David, before he was king, and he's having a conversation with his best friend, his best friend in the whole world, Jonathan? And do you remember when Jonathan says to David, he says this. Now, David reigned during a time of war. Uh, David had enemies everywhere, enemies against God's people, personally against him and against God's people and against the throne and even against God. So he lived in a different time. But do you remember what Solomon, his very best friend in the whole world, said to him? He said, one day God is going to remove all of your enemies from you. And when he does, all I ask of you is that you would extend to me the same kindness that God has extended to you. And if I'm dead, if I'm out of the picture, then all I would ask is that you would extend the same kindness to my family. And David says, I will. We all know the story. It was extended to Mephibosheth, his son, and so forth. If God bestowed the same thing to David... Maybe it would be natural for Solomon to say the same thing. Because the things that Solomon does not ask for are not in themselves bad. How do we know that? If these things that God says, you didn't ask me for riches, you didn't ask me for honor, you didn't ask me that I remove your enemies, and you didn't ask me for a long life. You know how we know that that's not bad, that those things aren't bad things to have? Because God gives them those things too. And if it was bad, God would have never done that. That's not the point. The point was, God was impressed by the fact that this young man didn't ask for those things. He didn't ask for those things which would have been selfish. He just asked for an understanding heart that he might show wisdom in the world. And God said, because you have asked of that, I am so pleased with that. I'm going to grant you wisdom and understanding. And you're going to have wisdom that far surpasses anyone that has ever lived in days gone by. And anyone that will ever live in the future. You're going to be the wisest man in the world. And because you didn't ask for this. I'm going to grant you riches too. You're going to be the wealthiest man in the world. You're going to have honor among men. I'm going to grant you that too. But there was one thing though that, and these are promises by the way, wisdom, riches, and honor. These are things that God promises to Solomon and it appears to me that he is promising these things to him unconditionally. What was the condition of receiving riches and honor and all of that? The fact that his heart was not arrogant enough and self-serving enough to ask for those things. He asked for wisdom. God says, you're going to have it. And I'm going to give you riches and honor and all of that. But there was one thing 
there was one thing that had a condition attached to it. God said, and if you keep my statutes, if you keep the commandments, if you keep the things that I extended down to your father, King David, that he kept all the days of his life, if you do that, then I will lengthen thy days. I will add years to your life. You know what's interesting? What's interesting to me is I've actually thought that David, a man that was one of the four men that were handsome and built well, that's described in the Bible. We picture a strong man. We picture a handsome man. We picture a man that looked, I would imagine, athletic. He was built well. But you remember what happened to David? I've always, I've always been interested in the fact that in days of Bible times, when people lived for a long, long time, that all of a sudden we picture David as a decrepit old man that is in his bedchamber, as it were, and he is so frail, he is so sickly, he is so weak that he is unable to regulate his own body temperature. So Abishag, the young beautiful maiden, is brought to him and she is there for the purpose of helping him to stay warm. So the Bible pictures this great one, David, as a decrepit, old, sickly man at 70. So when God says to Solomon, I'm going to lengthen your days if you keep my statutes, if you keep my commandments and all of that, we can picture a man that maybe lived, I don't know, 80, 90, 100, maybe more. What's interesting is we'll just jump ahead really quick and then we'll get back. Solomon died at the age of 60. I'm going to tell you something, folks. When God makes a promise that's conditional, if you don't keep that condition, you will not get the promise. I think Shahi was talking about, I think, I think he was, that he's working on a sermon on God's promises. And it's true. God keeps a promise. He will never turn his back on a promise. Absolutely. But when a promise is attached to a condition then God is not obligated to give you that promise that he has said I will give you if you don't keep the condition. Solomon died at the age of 60 because he didn't keep the statutes. His heart was turned. But I'll tell you something else though. His heart was turned over a long period of time. Why do we always say to our young people to make good choices? Why do we always say when we see someone is just on the fringes and they're drifting ever so slightly? Why is it that we reach out and pull them back in? Why is it that when they come to us and they say, but dad or mom or whatever, it's not that big a thing. It's not that bad. It's, it's okay in itself. But we that, ha that are supposed to have more wisdom than they, and hopefully we do, look to that and we see what's down at the other end of the road. We see a progression. And so there may be things in life that are not necessarily wrong in themselves at that moment, but they lead to something that is unwise. They lead to something that is bad they lead to our shame those are things we have to turn our foot from the path and go in an opposite direction Solomon now is a man of great wisdom he was given now no doubt we've mentioned this too in the past Solomon had to have the wisdom of a great man to ask God for more wisdom at the age of 20 
He had to have been a guy. He had to have been a man that had regular knowledge like you and I have, but maybe knowledge that surpassed any other 20-year-old. But the knowledge and the wisdom he was about to get was supernatural wisdom that far surpassed anyone that had ever lived at any time. But notice this. What is wisdom? Is wisdom something that's got us by the back of the neck that's going to make us make the right choices? No. Wisdom is a tool. Wisdom is a tool that all of us have to put into practice. If we don't put wisdom into practice, it's like keeping a tool in the barn or in the shed. It's doing us no good at all. At some point in time, with some of the decisions that Solomon had to make, he had to take the tool that God gave him that was what he needed and put it away in the tool shed and make a poor choice. God never takes away our freedom of choice. He never does. He gives us the tools, though. He gives us his word that we might understand what it is that he wants us to do. And then when we ask God for wisdom, he gives it not grudgingly, not a little bit, not holding back. The Bible says he gives it to us liberally. But we have to use the tool that he gave us. Solomon, all of a sudden, right now, I don't know how, many, how much time went by from the time that he performed sacrifices and thanksgiving to God for the things that God promised him right here and now, and the time that two harlots come to him over one baby. You remember what Solomon does. He sets into motion a wise decision. Two harlots come, we all know the story, one baby. They're, all, they're both saying it's my baby and so on. There was no testimony from anyone that Solomon could have referred to. There were no witnesses. There was no one that knew the case. There was no one that was there that saw the birth of the two babies that are in question. There was no one. No one to consult. He had to make a choice, and he does. He said, bring me a sword, and I will divide the baby in half, and I will give each of you a half. You know, Solomon really wasn't going to do that. Solomon was putting them to the test because of his wisdom. He knew that the real mother would rise up, and she did. She said, no, 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 give the child to her. In other words, give the child to my rival. It was better in her eyes to have her child go and be with someone that is her rival that wants her baby, and she would feel the feeling of detachment from her own child that's better than seeing her own child Dead. You know what the other woman said? Fine. Cut him in half. She was more concerned of misery loves company. If I can't have my child, she's not having hers either. You know what the Bible says about that? The Bible says, And all Israel, all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. And the Bible says in chapter 4 that the king, King Solomon, was king over all Israel. And furthermore, down in verse 29, it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even at the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of, the, of Egypt. 
You know, this word, these two words, wisdom and understanding here, understanding is talking about knowledge. So Solomon had greater knowledge than anyone. Wisdom, wisdom is something that we do. That's the ability to use the knowledge that we have. You know, people came far, far away to hear the wisdom of Solomon. When it talks about that he exceeded all those in Egypt, it's talking about those that were known for geometry, those that were known for arithmetic, those that were known for astronomy, those that were known for medicine. This was a man that far surpassed all of those. And when it talks about those that are in the east, it's referring to all those that were the Edomites, the ones that were known for their wisdom. He had wisdom that was far greater. And the Bible says in verse 34 of chapter 4, And there came all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all kings of the earth, which had heard of his wisdom. You know, his great wisdom led to his greatest work. We find that his building projects now were underway, and the building pro projects of Solomon lasted for about 20 years. The building of the temple was about seven years, and, uh, and the 13 years to build the king's palace or the king's house. And so that was the building projects. But his great wisdom led to his great work. His greatest work was in building the temple. And you remember in the sixth chapter, beginning in verse 11, where the scripture says, And the word of the Lord came to Solomon, saying, I'm going to make this point, though. It says, The word of the Lord came to Solomon, and not the Lord. The Lord comes to Solomon on two different occasions. One is found in, in, uh, in chapter 3 in Gibeon, that was directly. And also we find it later on in chapter 9, directly. Here, no doubt, it was someone that was maybe a prophet, maybe even Nathan. We remember the story of Nathan and how Nathan fit in the kingdom as well. But the word comes to Solomon, and he says, Concerning this house which thou art in building, if, here's conditions again, if thou wilt walk in my statutes and execute my judgments and keep all my commandments to walk in them, then will I perform my word with thee, which I spake unto David thy father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people. So Solomon built the house and finished it. The last verse of the chapter says that it took seven years in building it. And then in chapter 7 and verse 1, it says, But Solomon was building his own house 13 years, and he finished all of his house. You know, there was a time at the feast of the dedication of the temple that Solomon still appeared to have the proper kind of heart. That he refers back as he's standing before the whole congregation. And he refers back to his father, David. And he says about David, he says that David, my father, David wanted to build the temple. And he talks about how God praised David in his desire to build the temple, even though it wasn't going to be David himself. It was going to be your son. You know, sometimes in the Bible, when it talks about a son, it's referring loosely or generically. To, it could even be a grandson. It could be someone that was your son in the faith that we find about in the New Testament scriptures. But this right here, what Solomon is saying is, Solomon says, as God had promised to my father David, it wouldn't be him directly, though praising him for his desire to build the house. 
He said it would be from his loins, meaning it would be his own flesh and blood. It would be his own son, and it would be Solomon. And Solomon would be the one who not only would sit on the throne, but build the temple. And the Bible says that Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel. And he spread forth his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there's no God like unto thee in heaven above or on earth beneath who keepest covenant. Now get this. There's no one in the world. And when he talks about gods here in a multiple sense or a plurality here. He's not saying that there is more than one acceptable God. He is saying that there are many people in the world that recognize idol gods. And what he's doing is he's praising God to this degree. He says there's no one that even professes to be a God. There's no one that's ever even recognized as a God. There's no God in heaven. There's no God beneath. There's no God on earth. There's no God anywhere that's like you. Because you keep your promises, you keep your covenants, get this, and your mercy to your servants that walk before thee with all their heart. Isn't that today too? There's an old preacher one time preached a sermon called, Will God Keep a Promise? He will keep a promise, that's a fact, to all those that walk after him with all their heart. You know, we looked at the life of King David for a long time. And you know, the Bible praises David, and God praises David. And God says to Solomon, he makes comparisons to Solomon. He says, I want you to walk after me like your father David did with all your heart. And I want you to do it like David did, who did it with all of his heart. Now, wait a minute. We look at the life of David and we find that he had sin in his life. He committed a horrible act. He committed an act of adultery, tried to hide it, was guilty of lying and then murder as he passed down that judgment too. And yet God looks at his life as a man that walked after him with all of his heart. You know, that tells me that there's a difference between someone whose heart has changed and turns their back on the Lord and someone that just makes a mistake and falls down and needs to get back up. That tells me there's a big difference. Because I'm going to tell you something, folks. There was something about the life of King Solomon. There was something about his heart that God didn't like. There was something about his life. There was something about his judgments. There was something about his heart that changed in God's eyes. And yet we don't read about specific sins that he committed like what David did. That's the difference, folks. And I'm going to tell you something else, too. When Jesus gave the parable, when he gave the parable of those that were two people when they came to Jesus, and one was guilty of a tremendous amount of sin, when Jesus looked at these two debtors, he said, who's going to love me more, the one that had sin or the one that didn't have as much? Sometimes our service becomes better and greater because of our mistakes. I am grateful that all of the dumb choices that I made as a young man, I'm thankful that I don't have long-term ramifications about those things. I'm grateful. Sometimes we do. 
But we can learn about those things and learn from our past and be better than we've ever been. And serve God more because we appreciate the fact that in His loving, tender mercy, He extended our life to the point that we were able to get our life in proper order and He gave us the time to do it. And it causes us to be grateful. It causes us to be thankful. Solomon now is, as we read in our text, is at the height of prosperity. Here again, here again, the Lord is going to give him some conditions. No doubt the Lord can see. And you know, the Lord is the only one that can judge a man's heart. How many times have we said that? How many times have we said, and somebody says that they're sorry about this, or they're sorry about that, or sometimes somebody does something, they behave a certain way, and it is true that sometimes we want to judge their motives. We want to judge their hearts. And we might get it right, but really we took a guess at it, because only God knows the heart of man. Now, in the eyes of the people, in the eyes of Israel, Solomon is in a beautiful position. He's a great example in the eyes of the people. But God warns him again, and this is the second time that God appears to him and speaks to him directly. And it says this, If thou wilt walk before me as thy father David had walked, in integrity of heart, and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and will keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of, the, on thy, of thy kingdom upon Israel forever, as I promised of, of David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. There's going to be a successor, but there's the condition again. You've got to keep the condition. And he's warning, he's warning Solomon again. But notice, the very next verse, God says this, But if you shall at all... And he didn't say, if you completely. He didn't say, if you 100%. He says, if you at all, at all, turn from following me you or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. If you do that, not only full-blown, but if you do it at all, if you turn your back on me at all, and you go back to serving other gods in any way, shape, or form, then I will cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. It's going to be the butt of every joke if you do that. You know, I think that this verse here is referring to the specific uh, Babylonian captivity, 2 Kings 24 and 25. We will get there uh, eventually, but that's what that's referring to. But, but God continues also. He says, when people walk by and see, well, wait a minute, why has God done this? It's going to be common knowledge. And they're going to say this, because they forsook the Lord, their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt and taken hold upon other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore hath the Lord brought upon them all this evil. Then the Bible says, remember we studied about Hiram, the king of Tyre. And, and, and this king helped Solomon. This king helped Solomon. 
This king supplied him with the supplies that he needed, with the gold that he needed, with the timber that he needed, with the trees that he needed, with all the things that he needed. You know, I think there's a picture here of a loan scenario. He's loaning these things to him, and then in a future time or further time, when he would have abundance in the kingdom, he would be able to pay back in, great, in a great way. But the Bible says he doesn't do that. He gives him 20 cities. He gives him 20 cities of, the, of Galilee, in the land of Galilee. You know, that sounds like a great thing. Wouldn't it be great to get 20 cities? But then Hiram goes and looks at the cities, and he sees it as barren land, as worthless land. You know, 1 Kings doesn't say this, but in 2 Chronicles it does. It says that, that Hiram basically turned the land back. He didn't take the land. He said it is... Worthless, in essence. That word means cable is what he called it, and it means dry and sandy. It also means sterile. It was useless to him. Some scholars say that maybe this is a picture of the stinginess in the heart of King Solomon. You know, the other day I was talking to Terry, and I asked him how many guys he has working. And uh, Terry has a lot of, usually has a lot of men working for him. And he said about 25, I think he said. I want you to picture this. What if you had so many guys working for you? You want to talk about a man that has it all at his fingertips, at his disposal? You want to talk about having so many guys? What if you had so many men that it took 550 supervisors to oversee them? Now that's a crew. That's a big outfit. These were the men. Now, all the children of Israel, none of them were slaves or enslaved to it. There were others from foreign lands that were in bondage, but not the children of Israel. They were workers. In fact, the children of Israel, though that they were men of war, there was times when they had to work and labor, and the labor force was so great, it took 550 men to oversee it. You remember the time that the queen of Sheba comes to Solomon? You know, when you're a certain kind of person, you know, a lot of times we look to athletes as those that are famous. And you hear about them. And you could take a person that's not known at all, and you can make him, you can have him do something or be known for something. He becomes famous uh, to some degree. Well, the fame of Solomon spreads so much that the queen of Sheba one day, she decides to come to Solomon. Now, she heard many great things about Solomon. She heard about his wisdom. She heard about his knowledge. She heard about the fact that he has exceeded all those in Egypt, even those that were masters in medicine. And she comes to him with riddles and questions. She's testing King Solomon. And the Bible says that he answered every single thing that she had inquired, every single thing that she threw down, he had a perfect answer for. And when he was finished, the Bible says that she looked to him and she says this, I heard it was great, as I paraphrase. I heard that you were all this wise. I heard all of that. But it was nothing compared to what I've seen with my own eyes and, and heard with my own ears. And here's the point. Remember how we talk about how when we do good things, I loved our brother's prayer today. Did you hear what he said about those that are in Arkansas, 
May they have an opportunity. May they have a platform. May they have an opportunity to do good in the community. May they have an opportunity to assist and aid someone else, even though they need the aid themselves too. But they reach out and they do that. Who gets the praise? God gets the praise. God gets the glory. Do you remember years ago, uh, Bruce Roebuck uh, held a meeting over at Brundage. And he was talking about, actually, it was in Arkansas, around the place of Mountain Home, I think. I think he was living there at the time. And somebody was in need in the world. Something happened. I think the, the wife died, and, and the husband had all these kids. And uh, he had to care for the kids, and he had to do all that. But he had to work, so he, was, he couldn't work. He had to care for them. Word got out. It got on the news. And the Salvation Army, with their vests on, came, and they came to their aid. Isn't that wonderful? But Bruce's point was, when it was all said and done, the Salvation Army got the credit. They got the glory. But when we wear the banner of Christ, as demonstrated by our life, and we help those that are in need, we do that which is good and right, it's God that gets the praise. And he gets the glory. You know what the Queen of Sheba said? When all of that was said, when she recognized how wise he was, she finally says it had to come from God. She recognized that what he had had to come from God. Moving on quickly. There were three things. This is the, our final points. There were three things, according to Deuteronomy chapter 17, that a king was not to do. And you know, Solomon, we talked about what happened during the 40 years of his reign that caused his descent. And you know, really, what he does is he is guilty of all three things that Deuteronomy chapter 17 says that a king was not to do. One, he was not to use the office or the position of being a king to amass or increase wealth unto himself. That was number one. He was not to do that. Did he do that? Certainly did. You know, we talk about millionaires today signing bonuses that a player, a, a, a baseball player, a football player. It's common to say that somebody signed and got a $20 million bonus. It's common. We're not impressed with that at all. In this day and time. Listen to what Solomon was getting in ancient Bible times. In verse 14 of chapter 10, it says that the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 603 score and six talents of gold. You know what that is? You translate that out. That, that's, first of all, the weight of it. That's 25 tons of gold. You know how much 25 tons of gold, according to, if they're right, according to modern day estimators, that would have been about $20 million in one year's time. That's the gold that came to the king. $20 million. He was not to use the position of being a king to amass wealth or increase wealth unto himself. Deuteronomy 17. Second thing, Deuteronomy 17 says that a king was not to use the position of being a king to multiply horses unto himself. He did that, 1,400 of them. You know, you talk about the hilly, rocky terrains and so forth. He didn't need all those chariots. What good is a chariot in the hills? But he amassed that too. 
he multiplied horses unto himself. And third and finally, and this we'll spend the rest of our time on, he was not to use the position of being a king and multiply wives unto himself. 700 wives of princesses of other kingdoms. You know what that tells me? That tells me that Solomon was more interested in increasing his renown than he was of any other thing. His heart had changed, and his heart changed long before his idol-worshiping wives led his heart astray. He wanted to increase his renown. He wanted to increase all of those things. He brought great wealth his way, multiplied horses unto himself, and he multiplied wives too, and he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Fellas, can you imagine that? It, listen, it's hard, it's hard to keep one happy all the time. A thousand of them. A man that wanted to increase his renown. And you know, the Bible says that these were wives that served other gods. And the scripture says in verse 5, For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, and Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. What happened is, what happened is the evil influences of his wives led him into idolatry and he supported that he built places that they could worship their idol gods why because he chose wives for the wrong reason why do you think we spend so much time telling our young people to date in the church why do we spend so much time telling our young folks to marry a Christian, someone that shares our faith? Why do we do that? You know, I'm impressed with our young people in the brotherhood, and that's why it's so important to go to meetings where, where young people can meet other young people, and then they meet friends, and then they become long-term, lifetime friends, and then they, be, they, they date folks and so on, even though I'm not going to let Taylor date till she's married. But... It's a good thing for others as they find people they're going to spend the rest of their life with. But I'll tell you something. There's reasons for that. Because little by little, the heart of Solomon. Now I want you to remember this. He's the wisest, smartest man in the world. Now if the wisest, smartest man in the world can have his heart turned and changed because of his idol-worshiping wives, where does that leave me and you? Where? Where does it leave us? He's wiser and smarter than anyone. And he failed. The Bible says that the Lord was displeased with him. One more thing about promises. I'm wrapping my sermon to a close. You've been so patient and listening. We're almost finished. You remember when God gave him the conditions of the promise. Sometimes people in the world say, God left me. Where was God? Where was God when this happened? And so on. You know, God has never, ever, ever, I don't care what you've been through, God has never left your side ever. He never has. If he's not there, it's because you left him. 
And you know, when the Bible says in the story of Samson in his life, Delilah wore him down and finally he says, well, it'll be like all times before. I'll, I'll rise up and I'll shake myself. It'll be like all times before, but some of the saddest words in all the Bible. But he knew not that the Lord was departed from him. When does the Lord depart? When we depart from him. The Lord left Solomon because Solomon left the Lord. You know what God says? God says, I'm going to take the kingdom now. He was angry, and I'm going to rend it from you. But he says, I'm not going to do it while you're still living for your father's sake. And there's going to be a divided kingdom. That's next. At the end of this chapter, we find that Solomon dies. Solomon dies, and then we start hearing characters like Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he was an evil king, and in the northern kingdom, which was ten tribes, he would reign over the northern kingdom. He was the first king on the northern kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom was Judah, and Benjamin was with Judah, but the Bible just describes it as Judah. And Solomon's son, also an evil king, was Rehoboam, and he would be on that throne, the divided kingdom. Look at the ramifications of poor choices. God said there's going to be a successor on the throne forever if you serve me and your children do the same. In his lifetime. Didn't even have to get to the, to, to the kids. In his lifetime. And at the age of 60, after a 40-year reign, he dies. And the kingdom is divided. That's the next thing we're going to talk about is the history and the story of the divided kingdom. Israel and Judah. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.